0: What's up everyone. Welcome to the deer vein podcast. And this episode is specific to our whitetail series. The whitetail series contains 27 episodes, nine for the early season, which are already out nine for the pre-rut and rut and nine for the late season. This episode is part of our pre-rut and rut portion. And we're going to be talking scrapes, rubs, bedding areas, food plots, pinch points, funnels, Um, morning sits, evening sits, all day sits, calling decoys, all sorts of crazy stuff that happens during the rut and fun tactics, ground hunting like the spot and stock. There's just a ton of stuff to go about. This is my favorite part of the season. So I hope you guys really enjoy these episodes. I think we're even gonna have 10 or 11 in this just because the rut's so much fun and there's a lot of people I gotta talk to. Also, this Whitetail series is brought to you by Arrowhunter Saddles and OnX Hunt. If you're in the market for a tree saddle, definitely check out Arrowhunter. They make a phenomenal tree saddle. It's extremely comfortable, very adjustable, made right here in the US. I've found them to be the most comfortable for me and um and i just really like them so if you use the code dvain10 you'll get 10% off your order and uh they should be actually shipping they just came out with a new one here in the Mer- the merlin uh, but they should be shipping here pretty soon uh getting a whole lot more in stock of course during season almost all the saddle companies are pretty much out cuz they're so popular now but definitely check out arrow hunter saddles if you're looking into it uh on as far as onyx hunt goes everybody should know about them. You know, they're the, they're like the premium GPS mapping app. They give you public and private land boundaries. They give you landowner information. They give you hybrid maps, topo maps, satellite maps, waypoints. They work offline. It's just a phenomenal app. I pretty much find myself using it every day during the hunting season. So again, if you're in the market for a saddle or looking at a GPS app, please check out Arrow Hunter Saddles and uh, Onyx. And without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. Ah, so Bo, Bo Martonic, um, East meets West podcast. This dude's got some awesome stories under his belt and I really want to sit here and I actually, like, I've been holding it back. We've been talking for 30 minutes. I want to ask you about your caribou hunt really bad and I want to hear all the details, but this is the whitetail podcast. So let's just, uh, let's start with the first like hour or so on whitetails and we'll I mean, obviously we're talking about the pre-rut and the rut today. So we probably spend two hours on that, but I will, we'll catch the caribou hunt at the end. How about before Sounds we get, good. um, all right. So Bo, like I said, Bo runs the East meets West podcast. He's a writer Peterson's bow hunting journal. He gets in there. He's got his, you have your own like your own issues, right?
1: Um, my own issues like, uh, like in your, well,
0: I mean, we all have our own issues. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm um, like you're, did, did I see somewhere that you have like your own magazine where you can subscribe just to
1: your like oh, articles? Yes. So I have, um, my website, I have a blog. Okay. Eastmeetswesthunt.com. And I have a section of blog articles there and I'll link to some other ones I've written for other places. And then some of my own unique stuff there. That's, you know, just for the, the website itself. So,
0: okay, got it. So that's where you can find them. It's eastmeetswesthunt.com find them there. If you guys like this, I'm sure you will. Cause Bo's pretty good, pretty cool dude. Um, okay. So you're in PA season starts in a few days. This is going to air like October 10th, I think. What was the day? It was like not, yeah, October 12th, it's going to air. So you're already going to have a week or two in of hunting. Um, cause you guys open on Saturday. Yeah. Where, where do you guys, um, where are you hunting and like let's get a lay of the land for the type of terrain. And is it public? Is it private? Let's kind of go over all those kind of like scene setting scenarios.
1: Yeah. So, uh, where I'm from is Northern Pennsylvania, which is mostly just big timber, you know, I guess big woods mountainous type terrain. Um, so I don't really hunt any ag country. Um, around here at least and so it's just unbroken timber you know big logging cuts oak ridges um, you know hemlock and pine conifer type setting so a lot of different you know just big woods i guess is the the best way to describe it and so i'm lucky that you know where i live there's in northern pennsylvania alone there's over two million acres of public lands So I, I hunt mostly public. I do hunt private. Um, There's a lot of private like timber companies that are open to public hunting. So I do hunt a lot of those. Um, Yeah. A whole bunch of kind of different mixture there uh, of different kind of land, but it's all big timber type stuff is what I'm focusing on.
0: Yeah. I just pulled it up on, on Onyx maps here. And yeah, that is a lot of big timber. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah. It's, so when you're looking at a piece like of that magnitude I mean are you exploring new pieces every single every single year just checking new stuff out or are you kind of like honing in on like the best 500 acres you can find
1: um yeah I'm hunting I'm hunting new areas every single year I mean I'm going back to the same spots you know I'll have my core areas that I find over the years that are the best that that I always have those there, but at the same time, I just love going to new places. So I'm constantly probably almost to a fault, you know, finding new places because um, you know, it's, it's almost like going on an out of state hunt, even, you know, when it's in your own state, when it's a new area and you don't have any past history there, I just don't tend to stick around very long in in any areas, even if they're good, because I just, like I said, I like seeing new places. Yeah. The adventure, man. Yeah, and just love getting to to check that out. So that's that's for the most part, I'm um, I'm bouncing around quite a bit. Okay.
0: Yeah, and with that much land, like you definitely could. I mean, we're talking thousands, tens of thousands of acres, probably hundreds of thousands of acres. Yeah. I'm okay. Just looking at right here in all these national forests. So when you're when you're looking at that stuff, um, you know, you guys that open October third, pretty much the pre rut in my mind kind of starts October fifteenth ish, like depending on latitude and all that, but generally October 15th. So you just got like a few weeks of like kind of early season, you're almost off a summer season pattern. And then you're, you're right into the pre-rut. As far as like the scouting aspect goes, when you're looking for good places to that, you know, October 15th rolls around and you're like, Hey, the pre-ruts kind of kicking in. What are you going to, what are you looking for? What are you, what's your strategy for that timeframe? Like the 15th to like, the 25th or 30th.
1: So from like an at home scouting standpoint, you know, I'm online using Onyx and trying to figure out, you know, all right, where are the, the the places that I want to look for? And and I'm what I'm doing essentially is I'm taking I'm using the hybrid feature the most because I'm looking where vegetation features and train features overlap. So I'm trying okay. to find so like say you you know your typical you know saddles, you get your points yeah, your benches, all those things that are, you know, every whitetail hunter hears those, those topics. But when you combine in the, in the big woods where there's not, most time there's not a destination food source. You know, a lot of places I hunt, there's not even a oak tree. So there's no like one place you're going to, they're feeding everywhere. There's browse everywhere. So there's not really much of patterns going on, but so that's why the pre-rut and the rut are definitely the best chances that you have in, in those locations. So anyways i'm taking things like i want to find edges same thing that happens in farm country happens in the big woods where they love edges so instead of being you know edge of a field to big uh, hardwoods you're looking at say maybe a a clear cut or a logging cut on the edge of uh, you know a hemlock um, thicket or the open woods of big cherry trees and oak trees like you're looking for those types of edges and wherever i can find where the terrain might dictate them to walk whether that be a bench or part of a saddle or a, a spur or anything like that then those are areas i'm paying attention to okay you know, and that's what i'm i'm trying to as i'm looking online i'll mark spots that have that you know i like a lot of different vegetation if i got you know clear cuts and all these different type of things those areas really they stand out to me more than just, you know, big unbroken timber of all what looks like, you know, older trees. So I want to find a mixture of things. That's my biggest thing from afar. And so when I go into scout these areas, especially that time of year, what I'm looking for, I'm trying to find close to like where they're bedding. I mean, they don't bed in the same places very often, but they'll bed in certain areas. And so I'm, I'm looking for those, you know, edges, maybe those older timber cuts they might be bedding on or towards the point of the hill. And then also trying to find, you know, what are they feeding on at that time? It could be a side hill full of ferns that they're, you just see trampled down. It's not like you're not finding, it's not as obvious. You kind of got to just use your senses. You're going in you start seeing deer trails meandering around. It looks like they're kind of, you know, stuff's padded down. That's what you're looking for. And then I'm focusing it on scrapes. That's like my number one thing that I'm doing and not just, you know, any scrape. I'm looking for the bigger like community type scrapes. Normally, um, you know, in the pre-rut phase, I'm focusing on them closer to bedding, trying to be, you know, right on the edge of some thick covers, my ideal setup for that. And sometimes that might be a little bit higher in elevation towards the top of the mountain. Um, but that, that changes a little bit when it goes into, as you start going into the rut, the way that I would use scrapes then is I'm focusing more on those travel areas. I'm always hunting around scrapes, whether I'm making them myself or if they're there, but then I might be focusing more as you get into November. Um, especially into like even the second week in November, I'm focusing more on either I'm up towards the top of the hill, the saddles. Um, some good benches that have travel to them or even that's kind of an unpopular opinion, but are crick bottoms. I focus a lot on crick bottoms. If I can find where the deer are going to be narrowed down, say they're coming from, you know, one hill to another, they have to cross to the bottom there at some point. And if there's like a beaver pond or something else that's funneling them to one side, I've found, a, I've probably killed more of my bucks than any others in crick bottoms
0: really yeah okay so i like let's just start let's start there um actually let's not let's start (laughs) at um (laughs) because i want to work i want to work my way to those those travel areas but um
1: scrapes so
0: there are a couple things you mentioned can you explain what a community scrape is
1: yeah so that's like a a scrape that multiple bucks are using in those, but year after year so you're finding maybe not just one licking branch you might see four or five six of them from the years you can see broke off um you can just see where to them you know they okay. typically the area that scraped up on the ground is bigger you know that you know it's getting a lot more traffic essentially to it and it's just like the hub of where they're all communicating which you know communities yeah. scrape and but essentially, you can you can tell, like, when you find one of these, it doesn't look like one that, you know, most scrapes are made, say, they're testosterone-driven, you know, buck might be walking down this logging trail and just start tearing up the ground or rip branch down. He might only do that once. So that's not something I want to key in on, where these areas where they're constantly communicating and they're rubbing their forehead glands up in the branches. And, and then, yeah. you know, other bucks that come through are all checking that, you know, and that's those are the type of scrapes that I'm really focusing on. Got it.
0: Okay. And I, and I, I've, I've really recently, I wouldn't say super recent, but about five, six years ago, that idea was introduced to me and I've really found it to be true. Um, How I've personally found like those community scrapes, um, like you say, I mean, they almost look like small meteor holes in the ground. Like a lot of times it's just like, dude, something's been digging here for the last 20 years, you know? Yeah. Um, but the one of the other things that like trail cameras really helped me on that is just kind of figuring out because a lot of times like your like I call them like auxiliary or like satellite scrapes, they just kind of like will generally have a couple different bucks on them and they won't hit them that often. They'll hit them like once every few days or something like that. Those community scrapes will almost be hit like every day, pretty much every almost seems like every day, every other day at night at least they'll something will come check on them whereas those satellite scrapes might not be that way but the other big thing that i noticed is a lot of them tend to be on trail like right almost on trails or at intersections of trails where it's just like a blatantly obvious like here's an x marks the spot boom there's a big old community scrape there that's that's really helped me and so
1: go ahead and just to dive in a little bit further, like they tend to be closer to bedding for the most part than other scrapes might be that you yeah. find because, you know, to be able, for them to be used more, they're going to be, you know, close to bedding. So like, you sure. know, when it's outside of, because their community scrapes are used year round, in my opinion, I run cameras on them all the time. Like that's what I run cameras on and they might not pop off the ground, but they'll hit that licking branch all year. And yeah. And again, I'm, speaking mostly from my area and what I see, you know, is, is with anything sign is relative to where you're at, you know, different scrapes might look a little bit different in, in other places, but essentially that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm looking for in those.
0: No, I'm thinking about, so on the prop, so we have our own hundred acres, but then I've also hunt a lot of public. I have 6,000 public acres within five to 30 minutes of my house. So now that you mentioned that close, to, I never tied that bedding area piece together. Now that you mentioned that, when I'm thinking about, cause community scrapes aren't, there's not that many of them really. When no, you when really no, get after one it. One
1: in, in 50 of them that you might find, you know, maybe yeah. less than that.
0: So on the public, like I know of four off the top of my head. And then on my property of hundred acres, I only have one that I've found so far. Yep. And um, they are all very close to bedding areas. So that, I yep. mean, that's a, that, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you're keying in on those, like that's, you know, that's your biggest piece that you're after in the pre-rut. And then are you like hunting like within 20 yards of them, or are you trying to like just kind of, you kind of have an idea where they're bedding and you're trying to get between the bedding and the scrape or or how are you going about like keying in on those?
1: I'm usually hunting right over them. I mean, okay. I'm usually hunting within 15 to 20 yards of the scrape depending on how it all lays out but that's again generally speaking that's what I'm doing because typically it's it's difficult to get much closer to where they're potentially bedding because I don't know of a single bed because they seem to be using an area rather than you know actually even tonight I was scouting and I jumped a buck bedded down I wouldn't have thought you know there's a Hundred acre clear cut there that they can bet on any corner of it or, you know, inside. So sometimes you, you're wrong with it. So I try to give them a little bit cushion, you know, get close, but close enough that you could potentially get them in daylight, but at the same time, uh, not, not really pushing the envelope. I've, I've tried the whole like pushing super close to beds here and, and uh, haven't had a ton of luck with it. So. Not saying <laughs> yeah. it doesn't work. I'm just saying my no. personal, you know, experience.
0: Oh, for sure, dude. I live, I live 45 minutes from Dan Infault. And so I like, I can really, there are certain pieces that I can really relate to his style of tactics. Like, you know, these bucks are betting on this point of this marsh and there's six beds on there and that's where they're going to be, you know, but I can also relate to other other in that same piece. I come across that same 6,000 acre piece. I come across just areas, just kind of like you're saying, you know, quarter acre, areas where it's like anywhere in here is good like and i've found them ev- everywhere and it yep. seems like that even changes. i mean i know it changes throughout the season where they like to be because i'll find beds in the summer in totally different areas than i'll find in the winter you know Yep. um so yeah i i totally agree i think um i think i like you said earlier it's relative to where you are and what style you're hunting
1: yep totally uh, yeah couldn't agree more with that
0: So then with, uh, on the topic of scrapes to continue, you said, you mentioned that you make some scrapes yourself too. You do some mock scrapes. Do you, do you like, how do you set those up? Do you hunt directly over those as well? How does that work?
1: Yeah, mostly the same thing. I mean, I I shouldn't say all the time directly over them. Like, um, but for the most part, I try to put one in front of my stand. If I'm making a mock scrape, just to give it something for the deer to potentially check out they might not but like just to give them that or a place for them to stop and you know maybe in a shooting lane or something that i that i might have so i'm typically doing that but yeah i'm just the way i'm i create them as far as actually making them i'm literally just kicking up the dirt below a good licking branch with my boots and i'm not using anything special i'm just using my boots to do that and then the branch I try to have something that's a little over head height. Give it a little bit higher than some scrapes. A decent size branch, you know, maybe at least size your thumb around. And the typically in our woods are on the the favorite scraping trees are beech trees and hemlocks. So those are the two that I find the most huh. um, scraping action on. So that's what I typically use for that.
0: Interesting. So then you just like if you, fi- how do you even figure out where you want to put one? You know? Cause like, I'm thinking about that. Like, so you're going to go cut some, cut some hemlock and then where are you like, how are you even putting it? I know how I do it. I want, I want to hear how you do it.
1: <laughs> so yeah, I, um, it, it, well, it depends if like, if it's at if there's a trail crossing near me, I'm going to put it right there. That's okay. generally what I'm going to do. Otherwise any little flat spot, cause normally where I'm hunting, like I said, there's some trains. So if I'm on the side of a, hill if there's any sort of little bench even something small enough that you can't even see you know an onyx like small enough but i'm putting it there and i'm trying to keep it at the point too where um say there's a trail below it i might sit you know a little bit further down from that so if they do the winds coming in a direction they can scent check it you know 15 yards away which some of them tend to do as you start getting closer to the rut Still not, you know, win me at the same same time. Yeah. Would I try to? I I guess I try to put it a little bit upwind of where I plan on sitting.
0: Got it. So then essentially, like you're coming in and looking at it, and you're like, okay, here's a trail crossing. This would be a great spot for a mock scrape. All right, if I put one here, where am I going to sit? And how would the deer, if the deer don't go to it and they go downwind? Like, am I far enough away? So, kind of, you need to be at least like thirty yards from that scrape so that they can slip in between you somehow.
1: Yeah, and then, and again, I don't always think of it that way. It all depends on how the terrain dictates that. But sometimes, yeah, that's exactly you know how I'm doing it because yeah, that's you're exactly right. So that's kind of my my general rule of thumb with it.
0: Do you so being a mountain being a mountain guy? Do you like? Is there any way you? think about using the thermals like I've like if you're sitting there going you know I think the deer will probably hit this in the evening versus the morning and do I set it up like this or that based on based on
1: typical wind direction or thermal direction um I try not to think too much about it I mean there's because honestly you can over complicate it very yeah. easily and what I've found is especially here um you know all ridges aren't always like perfectly you know flat across or anything and and they'll like come in and out and have a bunch of little spurs coming off it so essentially your regular thermals aren't working the way they're supposed to you're getting a lot of swirling winds you're getting a lot of things going on so in a perfect scenario yes i would you know consider that but for the most part i'm not like i i and even like when i'm hunting these places like I try to have the wind in my favor with thermals. Like if I, if I'm hunting, like just say a morning spot or an evening spot, I'm definitely considering thermals. But as I get from like the later pre-rut into the rut, I'm sitting all day and I'm not going to change trees in the middle of the day because the wind starts shifting. Otherwise I'd be jumping from tree to tree all day and I wouldn't kill (laughs) a thing. So a lot of it is, is risking it. And I know that's, again, it's not something that, that sounds sexy, I guess, with it, but that's the 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 way I've chosen to to take that on. So
0: <laughs> no, I I get it, and I like you bring up a great point of like full day sits, which is another piece I want to get to, but I want to tackle this scrape topic first. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, keep going.
0: Um, so okay, so um, you got your mock scrapes, you got your community scrapes, um, satellites. You mentioned that. Um, if you see me like messing around with stuff, I'm writing down notes. Cause my memory is just like shot. I don't know. I think it's too many concussions, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, so you mentioned like travel, um, travel scrapes, like you're kind of, when you're, when you're in the pre-rut, you're hunting these like flat kind of destination scrapes outside of a bedding area, community scrapes, bigger scrapes during the rut, you're looking at more of like travel area scrapes can you explain like what that means
1: yeah so and i, I should say there is there is possible there is places that you can find both in one and there's certain crick bottom spots that i have where the it seems like the does and even sometimes the bucks will bet a little bit lower on the mountain than they typically do like if you get well, almost like it'd be in a bowl so if you're picturing a bowl where you got a bunch of drainages running up yeah. each side and you get that spot where it kind of hubs down there in the center mm-hmm. terrible for wind um but it it can be really good for travel and so you got a lot of travel coming there at all times and you can find a community scrape right there might not be bedding right there but there's enough travel yeah that you can find a community scrape and it's a good rut spot so those are really freaking ideal when it comes down to finding those but if you're looking at you know some of your other typical rut spots you say you're hunting a saddle so you got you know a drainage that's running up it's real steep and then you're finding a slightly flatter spots coming around you know maybe the deer are using the side of that drainage to run up go over the other side of the hill and you know check doe bedding areas sure then those spot those scrapes typically aren't as um I'm, I'm not finding as many community scrapes in those type of areas as I am just, you know, still finding good scrapes, but not like your, you know, your home run. Big heavy ones. Yeah. In, in that point, I'm more focusing on travel because in you know, a lot of times the typical feeding patterns with bucks here are up and down. So, Oh, okay. If that, so if they're bedded on a hill, Um, say there's cherry trees that are dropping black cherries below the pattern might be coming down or say there's an oak fly on the top they're going up so what the bucks are going to do is they're going to run parallel to them so the does are running up they're going to run parallel around the hills and check all those doe trails that's their thing trying to get scent and that's why they run ridges that way you know, they're usually not running on the top. They're running just over the edge Mm -hmm. and they're wrapping around and then they'll drop down across the creek and go up another side. And that's generally um, the way they're doing it. So I'm trying to, you know, get in those travel patterns and add some things like, uh, you know, that's why like in a saddle or in just um, any sort of drainage that comes up at the top of it, you're able to get multiple areas where a buck might be coming from one hill to another, but also running this typical rut pattern there. So that's, yeah. that's, uh, you know, kind of what I'm looking at with that.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's com- complex.
1: Yeah. No, like cornfield walk from the woods to the cornfield. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it, it is. And it isn't like once you get kind of, once you figure out what you're looking for and I've grown up doing this, so I'm not trying to make sure. it, um, sound complicated but like it once you kind of recognize that sign i'm sure if you went and, and did it you'd be able to take your knowledge you applied from farm country and be able to figure it out like it's it's just uh, yeah that's just what i've observed over the yeah. years of it you know
0: so then those so then those like travel scrapes are generally just like areas they're not like you said super heavily hit they're just um they're like kind of running their route and hell this is a good spot to put one not, just...
1: not yeah not as many of the bucks that might travel through there are going to be That's not gonna be their home scrape that's not they're yeah. not their territorial and to another point i guess i should mention is in, the, in these areas that i'm hunting for the most part here deer densities are low and it's a pretty good buck to doe ratio so these bucks are traveling a decent ways to try to find does so they're covering ground they're like these travel routes so that's i guess a a very good point i should mention and you know that's where like pennsylvania is so um different in different parts of the state you can go even 45 minutes south of me in some places and you can have an overpopulation deer ton way more doe than bucks and you can go you know east and it'll be it's it's all situational to pockets but in low deer density areas these bucks are traveling a lot during the rut i mean you can last year i was filming a buck that my uncle killed four and a half miles away during the rut so like it's yeah. it's incredible and and that's not i mean i I can rattle off a bunch of stories where that, that type of stuff has happened so they're they're putting on some miles because the girls are few and far in between <laughs>
0: yeah no i I would be putting on miles then too
1: (laughs) yeah exactly that's the same thing
0: yeah I did have one year I had a book that I had on camera at like five o'clock at night um, in one area and I got him on camera the next morning um, from one community scrape to the next actually and it was about a mile and a half Um, got him on both of them you know he just went there overnight which a mile and a half like people tend to think that's a long distance, but for a deer, 10, 15 minutes. Oh you know, yeah. I would say that. They that's, really feel nothing. like it.
1: Yeah. It was a, a one of the biggest bucks I'd ever was hunting. Um, I missed him one morning on November 15th. It was last day of our season in 2015. And he came after that I checked my cameras and he covered over two miles from in less than 18 hours. And like, I mean, probably, I mean, he slept for most of it, and then covered the rest. Of it. He covered. Yeah, right. it. He hit three of my cameras in like an hour and a half, and it was oh around God. a mile um, distance. And like, it was kind of cool to like look at it on Onyx and kind of connect to figure out how he was running the land. And you know, you're a lot of assumptions going on, but it was uh, it was kind of cool to to get to see that. You know, I mean, they oh yeah they've got a they've got a hit. Well, I think they got to hit a lot of bars to try to find the women, essentially, you know, they're not going to one big nightclub. They got, they got to hit a bunch of these dive bars around to be able to figure it out. So.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> eventually one dive bar will hold them. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: Eventually they'll find the, they'll find the mother load there.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm not going to say anything about my wife right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 better watch yourself. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've, I've had that experience as well. And I think it's something everybody should try to do at some point, which is get four, five, six trail cameras and drop them on like generally like a scrape line. You know, if you can find a scrape line and drop them on there just to see, like maybe a buck only hits, you know, scrape one and scrape four and they miss scrape two and three and you, why, I don't know, but, but it'll give you that insight. Cause I did that one year across the course. Like I had, like I just said that one. And I also had two more cameras on, on a scrape line, like in that area. And I, he didn't hit the other two and I, I don't know why or anything. Um, I eventually ended up seeing him at 55 yards and he was coming out of a pretty thick bedding area, but he didn't, and there was a scrape right by me, but he didn't care to touch it. I don't know why. Um, he just didn't. He he actually like looped around it, and it, it definitely had nothing to do with me sitting right over top of it. I can tell you that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no,
0: I don't know. Maybe it did. I I'm not sure, but I did a pretty good job getting in and entry and exit with my wind and everything. But um, so one of the other questions that I always kind of think about is bucks hitting very specific scrapes. Have you noticed that at all? Like you get 20 scrapes or something like that. And they're really only keen in on five of them.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, they're the, and it all depends on the buck's personality essentially, but like some bucks, like they have their scrape. It's like their hometown, you know, again, let's just use a bar for a relation. I'm not trying to really do yeah. this, but uh, essentially, I think it's that's their place. That's their place. They want to go. They might go out for dinner over here and here, but this is their hometown restaurant that they're, they're at. And essentially, that's the way they use it. It's usually close to their bed. If you see a buck that's hitting the same scrape over and over again, you're probably, you know, within a, a pretty decent, you know, pretty close to where he may be bedding at a lot of the time. And yeah. that's, that's the way I've kind of looked at it. But, yeah, they, there's definitely bucks that own, you know, scrapes. And that's, that's, yeah, when you so, find that, that's a pretty perfect storm there
0: is yeah there's a buck now that i there's a buck that uh on a buddy's property they have like the rights they own like 200 part his name's parker if any of my actual listeners are checking this out like he's been on the podcast a bunch of times um and he's like my best friend i was the best man at his wedding he was the best man at mine like and we share all this information it's funny because sometimes he doesn't even he has cousins that hunt his property and they don't share trail, trail camera pictures <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> but he'll funny. he'll share he'll share them with me but he was saying he kept getting this big eight just you know 130 inch 140 inch just like real thick and short but the body you know like he's one of those 250 pound deer that just like, doesn't have a giant rack, you know, five years old or whatever. And he would only come onto their property. Like they have like 300 acres that they can hunt. He would only come onto about 20 acres of it, hit a scrape and then leave. That was it. So it's almost like the boundary of his territory or something. Like this is where my territory stops. I'm going to hit this. And they would get that, that big one hitting it and one other big one that also wouldn't ever go past that area. So, like, those two knew, like, this is mine, this is yours. Interesting. Um, and then one of the coolest things happened is opening morning of gun season, um, they had a trail camera on there. The buck came and hit it, and the guy killed him sitting in the stand, and they got the trail camera picture of the buck making the scrape with the guy pulling up his gun in the background.
1: Are you serious? The, yeah, that's yeah. So crazy. it's a pretty
0: cool picture. I don't have it anymore. I think they sent it to me in Snapchat or something. But uh yeah. but yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It ended up it was a real big, thick, you know, eight point. Um but I was that's that's the only instance I've ever kind of heard of that like scenario. But yep. I have I have personally encountered different scrapes where it's like these four bucks hit this scrape and they're like pretty much the only four that'll hit it and then you'll have a different scrape you know 60 yards away and you'll get 10 bucks that hit it and it's just kind of like why i'm not 100 percent sure but i think like i think if you're if people are out there trying to figure out where to put their cameras and what scrapes to go after and target i think it's really just kind of like moving it around you know moving them around and checking them out different ones and then also like the dates man time of year is like everything on those scrapes. Cause sometimes you'll get I remember one year I got like all my action on one scrape between October 22nd and the twenty seventh. I had all the good bucks in the area that I wanted to target hit the scrape in those five days and they never touched it again.
1: Yep. Right?
0: I yeah I mean and that
1: and then so like my thoughts on on that is like that's when I'm seeing the most like action with them. But if, if on some of those like real like community scrapes near the, I'll, I'll find I mean I'll get bucks hitting them in the summertime like regularly, working them and then uh, but but when you fight like if you're thinking you know then getting into the pre rut phase yeah there'll be hot times like when I get start getting daylight activity like or yeah. if, and usually for for I see is a lot of correlation to weather with that cold okay. fronts I mean just like boom, that's when lights turn on. Like I can I can go back and look at my trail camera data for the last eight years and any daylight photos, not saying all of them, but a majority of them, especially if it's in like that middle to late October is correlated with a cold front. Okay,
0: got yeah. it. Yeah, I could, I mean, that's been a big topic on the, on the podcast so far, even, especially with early season, right? There were a bunch of guys on that were like, I don't even hunt unless it's after a cold front, you know, yeah. I'll go mess around on public and kind of dink around, but I'm not touching my food plots until, you know, I get a cold front. Um, it's just that change in pressure, change in temperature, change in wind. There's all sorts of things that really get those deer up on their feet. Um, okay. So I think, I think we've kind of beat the scrape topic to death. <laughs> <laughs> Um, was there anything else that you had? I mean, as far as like dates go, you know, I have like, if I'm hunting scrapes, I'm really not hunting scrapes in November. Uh, I'm more of going after like pinch points and funnels. I feel like the, like, like bucks are really into scrape. Then this is personal opinion. Please disagree with me if if you, if you disagree. <laughs> um, but uh, like, I feel like Bucks go and check those scrapes and they're looking for doughs and looking for, you know, sign and, and trying to get that first active or for that first, you know, in estrus dough. But then once kind of like, you know, in, you get one dough and then you get three doughs and then you get seven and then you get 15 and then you get 20 and then you get 30. And then at that point, they're like, I don't even need to check scrapes because I'm just I'm going over here and there's going to be a hot dough and I'm, and I'm done with it because I like my scrape activity goes down between like november 5th and like the 15th to 20th oh Did yeah I, the same I totally thing agree
1: no? with that yeah i totally agree with that i oh, still you have, do okay yeah i do i definitely do um my cameras slow way down and they don't like completely stop the scrapes but and but what i've learned is they'll still be in the area but they might not be hitting that scrape so like i know i can think of a situation where i was sitting in a stand and i saw seven bucks in one day was like november 7th and that's a lot of bucks for the area i'm in it's a lot there's of a bucks Odo in the though. area but i and my camera was there and not one of them went in front of that camera i mean they were all around they were under my tree and like and you know if oh. i was going just by that camera data on that scrape i'd be like this spot sucks there hasn't been a deer here <laughs> in forever you know and yeah. that's one of the things that that uh, yeah i have definitely saw that like they're not they're not hitting that scrape specifically normally scrapes are in travel areas so that they might be traveling through but to hit that scrape not so much
0: yeah and do you have any idea why i mean i i don't that's my guess is like they just don't give a shit at that point
1: i think they're just in zombie mode at that point and they're just like either on a hot dough i don't i don't know that's kind of what i've seen is they just seem to be like usually on a trail of something like their nose is at the ground they're just going and that's that's kind of what i've seen with it so and and scrape activity actually starts to pick up a little bit for me around like november 17th 18th somewhere in there and then once gun season hits they're all just they're laying down (laughs) right disappear yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Gun season, I, we don't even need to talk about that because it's just chaos.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not Yeah, anything to talk about. But <laughs> stops right then.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, man. In Wisconsin last year, they tried. So we had a real bad year for Wisconsin gun season last year. Um, it was like 65 degrees and foggy and the majority of crops were still standing. So our deer harvest was like, I don't know, 25 to somewhere between 25 and 30 percent down. And so then they put out like a a survey to try to like see what people thought after the one year and some of the like questions. And I just remember being like, are you ridiculous right now? Are you kidding me? They're like, maybe we should make our gun season instead of nine days. Let's add an extra week and move it closer to the rut. And I'm like, get out of here. That was handily voted down. (laughs) It's just like, what like, no, no, thank you. I mean, yeah. you, it just fell on last year. Wisconsin's gun season just fell on, on a shit week. Like it really did just weather-wise. Yeah. And they wanted to change everything based on one week when it's been working phenomenal for the last 15 years. Like, get out of here, yeah. you know? Um, some politician didn't get the buck that they were after and got pissed, right? <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what happened. But um, but no, I yeah, I'm super curious as to why... Why the bucks, if any of the listeners out there understand that, please, please write in and let me know. I appreciate that. Cause cu- curious as to why they really just like kind of lag behind in scrapes during like peak rut. And I have to imagine it's because they're like, I don't need to run the scrape because I know where the hot does are. And then maybe afterwards, you know, like that seventeenth time frame that you said, maybe they're like, All right, I can't really find one. Let's go check a scrape and see what's up. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So then what about, aside from scrapes, do you do anything with rubs? We haven't even mentioned it, but do you care about them at all?
1: Not really. Um, The thing that I do with rubs is I'm looking at, if I start seeing a cluster of rubs on the edge of thick stuff, normally I'm going to find a buck bed close. Like, So essentially you'll find the rubs coming out, exit trails out of the beds. Those are ones I'm going to pay attention to more, but random rubs in the woods
0: no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of I'm, in the same spot there. Like I'm not a huge fan of like hunting rubs. Maybe if there's a real specific, like rub line, like I can literally stand on the trail and see like four rubs down the trail. Right. And I know yeah. that there's a bedding area at the end of it. Then I'm, then I'm like, okay, like there's definitely like, I know there's deer in here. Cause there's a bed on the end of this, like, you know, a hundred yards away. But now I know like, there's probably a good buck in here based on these rubs.
1: So, so what I'll see with rubs is like, say if I have a point of a hill coming out, I'll start seeing rubs scattered a little bit and, you know, and as they start clustering closer and closer, I'm, I'm getting closer to the bed. That's kind of okay. how I've used that. Uh, I, that's, yeah. a, that's a perfect scenario. It doesn't always work that pretty, yeah. but like that's how you look at it. Or I found a, some giant rubs last weekend scouting and they were on the edge of this old clear cut, real thick, side hill so I'm like it's probably a bedding area and it was a good trail that ran right on the edge of this so and a, and a hemlock tree so I made a big mock scrape myself right there on the edge of that rub line so I'm kind of using it at that point yeah um, but I, generally I'm not focusing much on rubs I, I mean I'm paying attention to them but they're not something that's like I found You're one big over... rub I need to sit over it yeah yeah I'm not gonna do that
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a mistake, like new, like brand new hunters make like hunters in like the first year, second year, they're like, dude, I found a huge rub. I'm going to go sit by this thing. Cause a lot of times, I mean, that buck will make that once and then never come back to it. Sometimes they'll, they'll use it more. I've had, so last year it was the first time this ever happened. I had a trail camera just on a trail and I randomly put it in like the perfect spot. And I had, I think it was six or seven bucks hit the same rub over the course of like two weeks. They just kept coming back to this, you know, tree, you know, two inches in diameter and they just kept hitting it. And I just luckily put my camera in the the right spot, Mm -hmm. but it was something really unique. And I, and I, I've never seen it before. And I think it's because there was, there's not an area to, to make a scrape there. So they just use that tree as like kind of that spot. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, so I tested that. So I have a mock scrape um like six or seven feet from that rub this year Okay. so i don't i haven't checked it yet i was i'm gonna go i want to go check that but i'm curious as to how that's going to shake out the other thing with rubs that i'm really curious about as well is like in this marsh area that i hunt sometimes i'll come across like a stand of like young poplar trees they're pretty much like young birch or young aspen, yep. essentially and deer for whatever reason really like to rub those and sometimes i'll come across just like you know uh, a 20 by 20 area or a 30 by 30 area where pretty much every tree in that little stand is rubbed and to me that kind of like signifies it's not just like a, a passing rub like this is like a destination area where bucks come to you know destroy these trees Yep. so i so I have a I'm going to hunt I have a piece on public that I found last spring like that. Um I've hunted a piece on public like that before. Had a great encounter with a nice 8 point. I hunted it 3 times. I finally had a great encounter with a nice 8 point. Should have shot it. Really should have shot it. I was sitting flat on the ground with my ass on the ground and the at the first chance I saw him, he was at 8 yards and he's walking right at me. He walked to 2 yards, turned sideways, made a rub at like 11 yards I watched him the whole time and then walked off like I was just kind of like paralyzed (laughs) somewhat in fear somewhat in like do I can I even move but um but and I don't know if that was random occurrence or not so um it that's my only other piece on rubs otherwise I'm in the same boat as you kind of like I'm not not a huge fan yeah so um crick bottoms right you talked about those you said people don't really like to hunt them it's kind of taboo a little bit or a little bit like, like off, but you have, you've had a lot of success with there. Like what is it that about creek bottoms that are a little taboo? And what do you think you do that gives you success there?
1: Um, most of the time, like what I hear from other people is it's nighttime activity. There's a lot of stuff laid down there because the ground softer. So it shows a lot more like scrapes and stuff. Um, but it's normally night activity. And the fact that the wind is never good, which, can be the situation. So I'll explain the way the way I look at it is so crick bottoms not all are created equal. And ones that have extremely steep hills that come down to it, I don't normally hunt because at that point you're literally just getting swirling winds and it's just not as good. But if you get a spot that comes down and you have like a more of a flat creek bottom in there and okay. that those are the areas that I'm focusing on more because you know, and then generally they're big enough where you start getting beavers damming up some stuff. You're getting a little more swampy material there. So then that's starting to funnel things down. And when, so you're looking at say a November morning, November 5th, you got 28 degrees or so, no matter what those thermals, no matter what the regular wind direction is doing, those thermals, if you're hunting close to the creek are running down that creek. And sometimes they'll do that all day for almost all day. You might have a little bit where it switches, but I'd say for the majority of the day it's blowing down. And then, you know, if I like to set up right on the edge of those beaver ponds, if possible, because that water is typically going to be warmer than the air. So that takes your thermals and pulls them up. So essentially you're getting air coming to you, the wind, and it comes right behind you and goes up. So even if a deer is walking on the other side of that beaver pond, maybe 75 yards from you, wind's blowing that way but he'll never get it so there's like little there's little tricks like that that can be and but then there's also times i've honeykirk bottoms when it's 55 degrees and i can't get the wind right like this is all from just learning and figuring that out but they're generally they're smaller like the ones i'm talking about are smaller like feeder type streams say anywhere from four feet across to Ten to twelve feet, you know, not huge or not rivers or just small, is it? My Pennsylvania way of saying it, crick. Um, but uh, you know, that's
0: it's okay. I understand. What yeah. is it like? The meat eater says like a crick has a tire in it, I think, and a creek is has trout in it. Is it is? <laughs>
1: well, it's funny if I read something like if I'm reading a um, something on a map, I'll say creek. But when I'm saying it, like if I'm just talking about it, I say Crick. I don't know why I do that, <laughs> but that's just like that's the way it is. But essentially yeah. that's those are the type of things with with crick bottoms that and and a lot of times dough groups will bed in those those bottoms as well, like right on the edge of the hill. they will be um, usually because it's wet and stuff down there, you get more vegetation. It can be thicker in spots. So I'm yeah. getting does bedding there so bucks are traveling through and checking them out that's been my my findings with that
0: got it yeah and i got to imagine also like with crick bottoms um you know we all try to find like limiting factors like that's that's really the objective with deer hunting is like find limiting factors like where's where's the limiting food where's the limiting water where's the limiting travel corridors and travel routes and when you can find a Creek that has, you know, one crossing every 50 or 60 yards, like that's a very limited, you know, scenario where you can set up accordingly for that. I've never, I've never, I have, I'm having a real hard time with a Creek bottom at my property. It's the best, like, it's the best portion of the property. And it's the hardest to hunt. Cause my wind, like in yeah. one morning I had deer wind me 30 yards behind me and 60 yards in front of me within 15 yeah. minutes and i'm like what the what 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 is going on here i don't understand like how is this that's, even
1: possible that's where and again it's all situational there's places i have like that i want to hunt so bad and i just can't because the wind just never cooperates
0: yeah and, i'm still uh, gonna try yeah <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying this year um i had a podcast with zach farinbaugh yeah um, yeah you just had one with him too and he's yep. you right he's all about ground hunting um so he instilled some ground hunting thoughts into my head and, and I got some options. Him and I sat down after the podcast and kind of went through Onyx, and he was like, this is what I would do. So I'm going to give it a shot and see if I can. I mean, I can't screw it up more really. So, um, it whatever it resets every few weeks anyway, especially during the rut, like whatever you do on Monday is totally gone by Wednesday. Like no one even cares.
1: <laughs> no, no, I know that's, that's my thought with it too. I, I'm, definitely more aggressive than i am um you know laid back when it comes to to deer hunting i make usually more of the power moves and some more risky type things that i you know i screw up a lot with that but also i feel like it comes with some you know some good things too oh for sure so
0: then are you when you're in those creek bottoms are you up in a tree or are you on are you on the ground
1: i'm in a tree yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm typically, yeah. in a tree, like so they are awkward trees. They're never, you know, there's not usually good trees in there, but I'll, I'll get, you know, I might only be six to 10 feet off the ground, but essentially I'm going to be in a tree. So.
0: Okay. Yeah. So then, um, okay. You got all those swirling winds down there and you just kind of figure it out via thermals. And that's something you learn over time. Cause every, like you said, every Creek bottom is not the same. Yeah. So, like, check it out, and if it sucks, it sucks, and then you got to figure it out. Otherwise, um, Sean Sean Luckdell from Heartland hunter was on a couple weeks ago, and he um, he was saying he he has a spot like that, and he'll only hunt it when it's dead calm, because when it's dead calm and you're in there in the morning and it's hot, like warms up, your thermals arise, and then you're fine. But if it's not dead calm, like get out of there because that wind's just gonna whip
1: around yep that's there that's an, that's another very good point too
0: yeah um so okay those creek bottoms travel routes so then during the rut i mean so if like you would mentioned we talked about this earlier but essentially we're not hunting scrapes at that point we're more hunting travel routes right so what are those can you can you outline what those look like in your area
1: yeah i mean it's 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 very similar to the the pre-rut stuff i'm looking at you know saddles are the a big one again you've heard that in any time anybody talks about the rut but um so saddles and usually when i'm hunting saddles it's it it all depends on like what part of the hill i'm hunting depends on where they're essentially bedding so like in hill country there's a topography line that they'll bet on that that can that changes every place. But when you by scouting and doing things and figuring out kind of where they're betting and where some of those trails run, you'll figure out where you need to be at, and that changes okay. by food, by train, all of that stuff. So saddles are a big thing. So are you um, on the
0: same elevation? Like, so if you go through in the spring, or if you went through, you know, a week ago and you kicked out a bunch of does and you're like, okay, so this is a bedding area over here. This is a thick, nasty bedding area. Are you like roughly on that same elevation, just moving around based on the wind?
1: Trying to. Yeah. Okay, It's like, um, yeah, I might be half a mile away from some of those spots, but if I'm finding a bunch of deer bedded in those similar areas, then that's gonna, you know, be a tall tale sign. I mean, I don't pay attention to a ton like in the spring and, um, winter because sometimes they'll be lower in elevation depending on the snowfall. Yeah. If we don't get a lot of snow, it won't push them down. But uh that's that's something I definitely pay attention to because that'll that'll help you with it. So I'm focusing on those areas and also just side hills in general. Um any benches that are on there again, checking from uh bedding areas and trying to get in between dough bedding areas and then uh the correct bottoms. Those are those are my main rut zone funnels that i'm looking at because and I, I guess throw another thing in in there is some of the ground i hunt that's big woods is not as hilly or steep it's you know you got some swamps mixed in you got some other stuff at that it's just hard edges i'm looking for hard edges that are running things okay. so like old clear cuts 10 years and older does tend to bed you know towards the outside maybe in a little bit but on the downwind side of those buckle cruzos just the scent check the clear cuts and yeah. so those are areas that are are decent rough funnels as well
0: okay so essentially i mean what i what i'm hearing uh, over and over is doe bedding area and relationship to that
1: is what yep. is important to you yep so yeah very very okay. very true yeah. And that means no, less like, about buck betting at that point and yeah. more about doe betting.
0: Okay. Yeah, find the women, find the boys, right?
1: Yep, exactly, right. Hopefully
0: the man, hopefully the man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um okay. Um and when when I'm thinking about this in like the mountains and the hill country, um the only way I can like I mean looking at this on on on, on X right now, all I see is big timber. So, it, like, I, f- I feel like the only way to figure out where those dough bedding areas are, aside from the clear cut piece, is really getting in there, boots on the ground, and just trying to understand that piece.
1: Yeah, a lot of it's that, and then all you can you can kind of um, guesstimate a little bit. You know, say again, it's, it's it is so t- difficult, but. Generally, the upper thirds of the hill, or you'll find some stuff in the bottoms, depending on how the bottoms look. Okay. But so you can kind of get the gist of that. And depending on the wind direction, what side of the hill they're probably going to be on. You know, so if you got a, a northerly yeah. wind, they're probably going to be bedded on the south face a little bit. Um, sure. Or if it's in the summertime, you know, or like earlier season when it's hotter, they're going to be on a north face and some darker timber versus you know on a southern slope yeah. during the colder weather so where they get some more sun so that's that all comes into play but yeah a, a lot of it okay. me walking in there and bumping them out of their beds to know that they're there
0: yeah and that's like for a lot I mean that was a huge question I had for a long time is like people yeah. always talk about doe bedding and buck bedding, and I'm like how do you even know and really like the thing that just like helped me really learn it is just like walking through it
1: (laughs) yeah that's and (laughs) there it is
0: you know um the only the yeah the two ways when i have so like at my my old job i had a new hunter who just was like coming on board and he was trying to figure that out and so i told him i was like there's two ways you can like really figure out bedding areas and one is to just walk through it like just take a gander and just go walking when you kick up does or you kick up a buck like that's where they were betting so that's where they were the other way to do it is like if you're hunting a specific area and it gets dark at seven and you start seeing deer at five, you're probably pretty damn close to that bedding area, yeah. right? If you're seeing deer at 650, 655, you're probably pretty far from that bedding area because they're probably getting up within an hour, maybe an hour and a half, sometimes on the outside, like two hours before evening, depending on the pressure. And, uh, and the the closer you are to them, the earlier you're going to see them. So yep. that's kind of like those are the two ways that I kind of told him. Um, and that's just, that's how, that's how I do it too, if yep. I don't know the area. Um. So, okay. So rubs travel areas. Um, do you have any other like? So we talked. You mentioned full day sits. So. Yeah you're you're camping out and i have very mixed opinions and mixed thoughts and i i'm so indecisive in the tree on this <laughs> it's like yeah. i i get up at you know 4 a.m and i'm like i'm gonna sit here all day and by like 11 i'm like where can i move <laughs> yeah so what are you yeah what are your thoughts
1: on that i'm an all-day guy I, I like same sit spot all day. all day same spot all day don't move that's I've, I've killed more of my bucks in the middle of the day than I have any other time. I've, I've never killed a buck in the rut first thing in the morning. So if anything, I'm going to sleep in a little bit, walk in the first light and hunt all day rather than, um, trying to get there an hour before it gets light and then leave by 10 or 11. Like I, I want to, during the rut, I'm going to sit all day unless I'm like, I'm two and a half days into a spot or something's not feeling right or something completely goes you know or i get a hunch for something i might move middle of the day but for the most part i'm staying in the same spot so
0: why like why not move? if you're not if it's like noon and you ain't seen shit why aren't why aren't you like man it's because some people are like if it's on it's on and you're if you're in it you're in it and if you're out of it you're out and you need to go find it low deer Um,
1: densities so low deer density means that it's you might not you might not see deer for three days you might not and but when it does happen you could could see a really good buck so there's there's a lot of hoping with that I mean that's where it's like um but at the same time I've just learned it so long that like a spot can be cold for literally two days and it can just turn on that next day and you know a lot of people don't want to wait for that and that's fine and I'm sometimes I am that guy that doesn't want to but I've found that I'm way more successful if I waited out than I have been jumping around. I've tried the whole, um, you know, even as last year I moved around like crazy hunting different spots and I was like, why did, why did I do this? You know, like I, I made it worse on myself than if I would have stayed in some of these spots. I know they're good. I just, when you have low deer densities, it takes a while sometimes for bucks to to travel through. Yeah. So that's, again, that's all, again, all that. situational, but that's what, that's where, that's where how I've learned to do it and how we've kind of done it around here.
0: I could see that like from that perspective, I think you have to have, in order to do that, you have to have a lot of confidence in the spot.
1: Oh yeah. If you do, like, yeah
0: yeah, like, I mean, cause the grass is always greener on the other side. Right. So yeah. if you have that mentality um, and I, and I, I did it last year. Like I set a spot, it turns out like after studying the property for, you know, a year and really combing it and scouting it, like I was in one of the best spots I could be in, but I, I saw a couple does those right away. And by like noon, I was like, eh, I'm out. I should yeah. have, I should have stuck around. Cause like trail cameras and everything were showing me like, those were the travel routes to be in that I was closest to. Um but I just didn't have the confidence in
1: it, yeah, so one of the things i I will do though if I see like a bunch of bucks cruising at eighty yards, I will move closer to that like oh, yeah um if it if it's like a I i see start seeing two or three that do that, I'm like I need to move <laughs> like you you gotta do it, so tear down, but yeah the I think the biggest like to be successful during the rut is it's a mental game like you've got to be confident in your spots and i'm not saying i always am because i'm definitely not i i'll be driving to a stand in the morning slam on the brakes three or four different times turn down this road cut back i'm like where, where am i going like <laughs> i don't even know where i'm going but at the same time like uh, once you're there you gotta believe it because otherwise my mind's like oh, this There's, there ain't been a deer here in three weeks you know you get that kind of and, and once you do that yeah. you're killed. Oh, if you're ready, you know you're oh,
0: dude, I, I'm laughing because I do the same shit. Yeah, that, like I will pull into two or three different parking spots and be like, "Gosh, I go here. Now nah, this spot looks better." And I'll drive to that new spot and I'll be like, nah, I should have gone to the first spot." And I'll drive to yep. the first spot. I'll be like, "Ah, maybe I should have gone to that other spot." Yep. You know, just back and forth and trying to figure out, you know, which one's gonna hold them on that day. And and like, I think there comes a point where like you have I whatever a handful of spots that you're extremely confident in and you just gotta be lucky that day
1: yep you know yeah, totally, um, totally there's there's definitely a lot of luck that comes involved
0: with it yeah especially during the rut like i mean hopefully the dough in the neighborhood pops off and 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 it's on
1: yep right? time, time in the trees what your friend with that
0: yeah um so then as far as like full day sits go, are you, are you like running? I know, do you run a tree stand? You just run in a, like a lone wolf tree stand or what?
1: No, I'm hunting out of a saddle for the most oh, are part. You? Yeah. For the what most part. What saddle do you run? Um, I have, I have a tethered phantom that I'm okay. running. Nice. And use their predator platform. So that's what okay. I've been. Uh, this, this is only my second year using the saddle. For the most part I ran, um, I had a hawk helium setup they don't even make the stand anymore but i had sure that and i ran those mostly mobile setups i've done it a bunch of different ways i've done it where i've hauled in a bunch of stands two weeks before the season because that's when we're allowed here a bunch of heavy okay. steel stands and the big sticks that cl- you know that clip together that yeah. you get for forty dollars a field and stream <laughs> i've done all those different you know routes and i've just found that a saddle is a lot nicer on the back and i can bounce around the spot's You know, they don't, they don't work in every situation for me. You know, if I'm trying to get into a hemlock tree or something, I want to have a platform stand just because I can't with all the branches. But um, I I mean, last year, I think I hunted out of a regular stand once or twice. Other than that, I was out of the saddle the whole time. And I literally got it in middle of October. I just jumped in and started using it, which I don't recommend. I'd recommend faxing (laughs) with it. But uh, at the same time, I learned it very, you know, quickly. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you learn pretty quick when you're in it, like every day.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, and exactly. I was,
0: I was in the same boat. Like, um, the first saddle I bought was a tethered manis, and I ran that for, for a year, and then, um, I tried out just I wanted to ex- explore different ones, and I tried out an arrow hunter. Um, and I think saddles are kind of like boots or like jeans. Like, some of them fit just fit different people better. Yep. And it'd be so freaking nice. Like a million dollar idea is just like somebody buy up a hundred saddles of each and just send them out to people to try on and shit. Um, because that's like everybody's biggest complaint, but I, anyway, I tried on the arrow hunter. It fit me better. So then I, I, so I've been running that one since. And, um, and I just, I'm a big fan of the saddles and I like pretty much will run them all year round. And I've like especially on public, I run them all year round. And every now and then, like there's like you were saying, there's specific trees that'll set up just they set up better for a tree stand. Yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'm running a saddle. Um, and then on the private, like, you know, I have all tree stands, permanent tree stands set up, right? I yep. mean, it's just that's the convenience of private land. Yeah. Right? yeah More definitely. wheelers and tree stands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, that's why you do that. So you don't need to like deer cart the deer out or cut it up in the field or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's just easier. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, hunting out of the, I mean, hunting out of saddle full day, like as far as comfort goes, you know, out of, a, on a scale of 10, are you, are you like, you know, nine or 10 out of 10?
1: I'd say the same as I am on a tree stand. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's any better or worse. It's just different. I mean, you can adjust a lot more, which is nice. You know, we're knee pads so I can rest against the tree. I can. Yeah. Put my arms on, on the bridge and the tether and go to sleep. I yeah. Can do, you know, See, I can that is like,
0: yeah, my things. buddies, uh, you know how, when you're in a tree stand, you, you lean forward on your safety harness till it ends like, yeah. up and you take a nap that way, <laughs> yep. same, same way with, uh, like, the saddle you just like you just said like that tether that comes off the tree is that rope you just put your arms on that and you just lean forward and
1: it took me a while got. to trust that though like i it took me a while to like get myself to sleep in it because i kept thinking i was just gonna swing around the tree but uh, <laughs> once once i did it it was like it was i felt more usually i'm gonna treat am just you know i wake up kind of like oh, half yeah, falling yeah. out of the side of it but
0: no yeah. uh, that makes sense um yeah i i would i would agree like it's not like the most calming feeling to be sitting there in that saddle and uh trying to sleep but (laughs) if you're tired enough you can do it um so then okay so we're looking at i mean i just want to recap everything here um oh one of the other things i wanted to cover um pretty quick we're we're i think we're over an hour i don't know zoom doesn't tell me how long we've been recording um but uh, calling, like rattling and calling. Do you ever do, do you, do you grunt, do you rattle, do you do anything like that in the pre rut or the rut? Have you had success or?
1: I'm a big grunter and, and bleat. So <laughs> big I, runner, I, I do, huh? I, yeah, what the ladies I'm, like at the bar? Big, yeah, <laughs> they like when you grunt. They like when you uh, get a little calling. So, essentially, yeah, yeah I'm I'm um, I'm using that a lot because the areas I hunt are so thick for the most part that if one's traveling by, they could travel by you at sixty yards and you're not going to see them or hear them. You know, especially if you're in a creek bottom that that creek running through is so loud yeah. that you can't hear a thing. And so I'll I'll grunt relatively often sometimes during the rut it'll be every 15 20 minutes i mean like pretty really? often just enough like that i could if i would think of how long it would take a deer to cross through an area like i want to catch him at some point um and again that's a yeah. thick stuff i'm not sitting on a you know a big oak flat doing it where you, you know that see. all eyes are on me you know that yeah. they can catch you so but all and i'd like to put I, I will joke about it, but it's serious. Like, I like to put emotion into it where, like, I'll – my bleak can's funny. It's she's one of those primos, big bleak can, yeah. just dump it over. it over. yeah. And so I'll, like, dump that twice, and then I'll, like, make it like a chasing sequence or a seeking, just blah, blah, you know, kind of a couple grunts after that. And then um, if, I, if I get a buck that I see, and he's kind of zombie mode type, deal, I'll just get into a long growl and that i've had a lot of success with that i've turned the hair on their neck coming in you know i've always heard like calling on public land is not like the best thing to do but i've that's like i love that that's why i like when i hunt elk i like calling elk i like that interaction you know is that the best thing to do all the time maybe not but like for me to get that show of one coming in thrashing trees and grunting coming back or Whatever it might be, that's I don't rattle much. I haven't had much success with rattling. Um, okay. The times they have came in, they've came downwind, which I, for whatever reason, I haven't had that as much with grunt with grunting and bleat calls. But that's hmm. yeah, that's that's kind of what I've done with it. So
0: yeah, I haven't. I've the best action I've ever had, like with grunting, has been on public. So like I'm all about like. And the other thing that's super nice about public is like, it's almost like a, an experimental ground, like whatever, like you have no idea who was in there the day before you and what the hell they were doing. You know, there might've, might've been coyote hunters in there last night. You have no clue, you know? So it's just kind of one of those things that's that it's like a, an experimentation ground. Um, but yeah, as far as like running goes, I've the most I've ever had is on, pieces of public that i've been on it's like what the hell is that i always think it's another hunter when i initially hear it i'm like ah shit some other hunters coming through the woods pretending they're a deer and it's like holy shit it's actually a deer yeah (laughs) you know um but uh so then it like grunt tube wise does do you think it like what grunt tube do you use or is there is there like because i mean i have one that that like extends right so it gets deeper or or quieter do you run it on like a middle-aged buck or an old buck or like do you have any
1: sort of tips for that i mine just has one tone to it, essentially i run it's an old like mad growl call or something it's like one of the real deep just a cylinder it doesn't extend doesn't have any it's just a solid tube and it's just got a real deep tone to me it sounds like okay. an older deer just whether it does or not that's that's the one i like it's loud it that's I've used that same call forever. My backup one, cause they don't make that anymore is one by the same company. It's a mad hyper growl or something. It's got like a snort tube on the top. Okay. But I It's funny. I actually had them sitting here next to my computer. Cause I did a video podcast with someone else who was asking about calling and they wanted me to show them, but I just put them away. Ah. But uh, anyways, that's, I just use those um, right. for the, the grunt tube. I'm very picky on, on grunt tubes. I can't use, okay the smaller ones that have the tubes yeah. and stuff. Cause I just, I don't like the tone to it. Okay. For me personally.
0: I know. I I've like, I've never had success calling, calling a deer in. I've, I've had, yeah, I've never been able to, even when I see them like cutting across the field and I, and I have does next to me, like I'll call to them and they'll kind of be like, yeah, don't care.
1: <laughs> so I, I've killed probably five out of my last seven deer. I think is what I've looked at with calling no shit yeah
0: oh man that's cool yeah. so in general it's kind of like what you're i mean your approach is bleats and grunts and and you don't you don't always see them at first you said
1: no i'm mostly blind calling mostly okay. and blind then calling out.
0: yep do you ever do you ever have them come in um and they're like looking around and really like suspicious
1: yeah yeah i've ha- i've had it um, where I got to be careful is if I'm in an area and set up and there's any little opening in front of me, uh, then they're, they're going to come to the edge of the thick stuff and look out. If they don't see anything, they're going to skirt it and then try to come downwind. So if I'm set up in an area like that, I use, I actually use a decoy. I use one of those, um, Montana decoys, the two dimensional no ones. Shit. That look you real. carry one of those in? I do. Yeah. So I'll use, um, I'll use a doe and I also have a four point one that I'll sometimes set up one right Very behind scary another
0: monster right there yeah the
1: problem is if the deer get behind it and they lose it because it's two-dimensional they kind of freak <laughs> out so again decoys are another risky business but the right yeah. time of year they can be awesome so
0: oh man that's cool that's something that's also something I've never I've never done
1: yep big um, decoy guy. I learned that from my dad that was something he he always does and um yeah and he's gets it done every single year so i try to learn from him whenever i can
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, that's yeah that's cool yeah so um okay so i want to jump to that decoys but um i want to finish out the grunt so essentially it's just like a dull bleat and then you're grunting grunting grunting, grunting and then you kind of stop for 15 20 minutes whatever and you do the same thing right yep. okay
1: yeah. So I'm gonna, yeah i'm gonna yeah, try yeah, this most this part. year so I'm, yeah, that's, that's what i'm
0: asking i'm trying to yeah it that's my
1: brain that's mostly what I'm doing, you know, and it's, I I've kind of laughed about it because I've heard people like complain about others that they've heard like this guy grunted all day, you know, and and almost like when Corey Jacobson he had a note on his truck, um, yeah, that said <laughs> you you call too much or something like that, and, you know, the one of the most successful all hunters, you know, in the west, right. and someone writes that on his truck, so like it's. um it's, it is a weird thing. And I almost feel weird saying it like, wow, that's a lot to be calling. But, um, and again, it all depends on the setup and you know, I, I, if I'm in more of an open area, I got to be careful a little bit more. So I'm not, yeah, you know, running on the tube. And, but the, the thing with the crick bottom that I just want to hit that one last, one last thing with that is it is so you have to be alert or you're screwed because, those deer could pop out of nowhere cause you can't hear them because of the, the crack. Yeah. I've been screwed before. Luckily most of the crick bottom spots don't have cell service. So I'm not on my phone. Um, yeah. So that's, that's always good. But, uh, if I'm, you know, sitting there with my hands in my pocket, my bow hung up or whatever, you know, it's like, especially in a traditional tree stand, you know, with the saddle, I got the tree to block me a little bit, but I've had it where I'm like, Oh shit. Like, I, I don't know. They're just right there. Yeah. And, so, yeah, that's
0: okay. No, yeah. see, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's true. You just got to take some, you got to take a couple, two or three scoops of Mountain Ops Ignite and just, yeah, and be all jazzed up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: um, so, okay, no, I, I really like that idea. And I, I mean, you know, if you think about it and you're playing the odds on that, um, I'm just trying to conceptualize it in my brain. Cause one of the tree stands that I, that I like to hunt is about 40 yards from one of the main drags. Um, and I can't get any closer. It's just, it's just terrain and everything just doesn't allow me to get closer than 40 yards. Um, and there's another trail that's up at like 60 to 70. And that's out of my like comfortable shooting distance. Um, but if, if those deer are at that 70 yard range and four of them come through and I can just get one to respond to the call like you know that's 25% chance and I screw up the other three well whatever if I get that last one to come in like it's worth it rather than just letting them walk by Yep. you know what I mean because you're going to call at them most of the time you're going to call at them anyway yeah um, it's just trying to yeah so you like that low growl do you ever do you snort wheeze at them
1: at all um, yeah it all depends on the temperament or if it's like if they're walking away i'll just throw whatever i can at them which this wheeze is usually the last resort type of deal but um or if i hear one i've heard bucks actually snort wheeze and when that happens i just do one back like just and i've i've had I think I've had it happen four different times and three times it ran the other direction, but one time I've had it had them come in and I didn't get a shot, but it was still it was an awesome experience to yeah hear that vocalization. And it was just, it was so cool.
0: Oh, that's sweet. But, All right. So I, I mean, that's something I'm going to be, I'm going to be messing around with this, this year. Um, one of the other things, as far as like rattling goes, um, I have rattled a deer in, when I was like 17 years old, um, I watched, um, what is it? Bucks of Tecumate, I think.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that show? Yeah. Jordan. (laughs) I don't
0: have the outdoor channel anymore, but, um, yeah. And they were grunting or they were, they were rattling and grunting and then moving all their feet around at the same time to make it sound like they were actually like two deer fighting. Because if you just rattle the antlers, sometimes it's like, Okay, I hear the antlers, but where's all the leaves? And where's all, you know, the other shit that should be going on if that's yeah. really truly two big bucks fighting, right? So I think when I was like 16 or 17, I got on the ground and I was just rattling like crazy and making a ton of noise, and I did have a buck come in. Other than that, I've never had it, I've never had it happen. Um, and it wasn't a big buck, you know, it was a small basket rack like eight or something like that. Um, uh, but the the other thing that I noticed, like Aaron Snyder, I mean, he's not a whitetail hunter, right? And he tells you that every single time in his story, like, I don't whitetail hunt. I just, I go to guides and I have friends. Um, but he puts his on a rope and then drops it down to the ground. So, and then pulls it up and down, almost like a fishing lure. So, okay. it'll rattle and hit the, hit the leaves and everything. And then I also feel like that would kind of take their eyes off a little bit off of you and where yeah. that's from and more towards like the ground or wherever that echoes around i'm gonna so that's another thing i'm gonna be trying this year
1: yeah that's pretty solid i like that
0: yeah so it's just like yeah i I, i'm i'm curious as to how i'm gonna get them down to the ground without them clinking like crazy but i'll I'll figure that out in the tree
1: yeah Um, leave leave them leave them on the ground as you climb up and then have like a rope that's, that's tied to your belt or something
0: see look at that already (laughs) all right (laughs) that's that's probably what i'll do um yeah no that'd be cool because then you just kind of like pull on it almost like a doorbell or some shit and you just pull a couple times and bam 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 you're good to go Mm -hmm. um so i'll be trying that this year as well in the rut the other thing is the decoy um do you do you know when you set up a decoy like if you get one of those montanas do you have a general idea where the deer are going to be coming from so that they see it like on its side rather
1: than I, I try to. And okay. that, that's probably my biggest difficulty with decoys and why a lot of times I choose not to use them because they come from so many different directions that it's hard to, hard to figure out which way to, to face them. Yeah. yeah. That, I do not have that figured out whatsoever, but I, 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 I try. I try to like which way I think that they might come from and that's the way I'll set it up with like the rear end of the deer kind of quartering to me and then the head kind of away a little bit because yeah. they're going to come around. They're going to try to come around the back of it so that it would, you know, let them open themselves up for a good you know broadside shot or slightly quartering away yeah. shot. So. Okay.
0: Uh, it's a, yeah, that makes sense. I haven't and I've never messed around with decoys at all. Like, even though those real nice, like I think Dave, does Dave Smith make nice full bodies?
1: I'm not even sure.
0: I don't know. I mean, I have, I bought, I finally broke down after like years of not having Turkey decoys. I finally broke down and bought some Dave Smith Turkey decoys. Um, But uh, yeah, I know Heartland bow hunter uses some nice, some nice decoys and they have some cool, cool footage and i always enjoy those trail cam photos of the decoys just sitting out there and the bucks just wreck them at night yeah you know like that's always fun to see i've never seen it in person um but uh but yeah I'll i'll have to consider those decoys i've never done it and maybe i'll have to give that a try um those montanas they just fold up in a backpack yeah they,
1: they fold up and then wrap a bungee cord around them and then i just you usually put them on the outside of my backpack is all
0: okay cool um what about scents do you ever do anything with scents no
1: not really um no. the, the, the only thing i do with scents is uh i use um either forehead gland or um preorbital gland on the scrapes and then i'll if once like People start so we have like a camp here, so like all my family takes off the first couple weeks in November, and as bucks start to come in, I try to cut the tarsal glands off those bucks. they I right. wrap those around a rope and I'll drag those in, and then I'll hang that right over the scrape. So that's been okay. my method with it. Um, have a ton of luck with that. Like if I have, if I have it's a cold cold morning and I have a tarsal gland fresh one dragging in. I feel more confident than ever but really
0: yeah so for people who don't know where the tarsal gland is like what explain where
1: that is that it's on the back leg it's up a little bit from where the the hooves are there there's a you'll be able to tell it's a part that stinks real bad on the back of it it's you know below the knee kind of below the calf a little bit kind of that portion so
0: okay yeah it yeah. does i can trust i can uh verify that it smells real bad <laughs>
1: yeah don't yeah do it pull it out with gloves on or your hands are gonna stink like it all day so yeah uh i
0: have never i have never i've i've smelt it and i've had friends throw it at me i've never <laughs> i've never used it um so i have never like have i've never done that but i'll have to give that a shot too yeah um I just think one of the, like I'm saying, I'm going to give that a try this year. And I think it's just so fun to try all these different techniques because what, back to your point, like early on, so many things are situational because some people might listen to this and be like, dude, you can't call a buck in, in my neck of the woods ever. And other people are probably in the same boat as you. That's like, dude, I've killed all my bucks calling them in. Yeah. So I mean, you know, figuring out the the temper, and I think it varies by area, but then by by amount of pressure, by deer density, and then also like just individual personality of each deer, like if they're more aggressive or more passive. Yep. Yeah. I feel like there's so there's so many things that can go into it. That's just kind of like give it a shot and see what works. For sure. Um, so no no sense. I'm not a big I'm not a big scent dude either. Um, I just don't, I've never had like, it's never seemed like it's really given me that much of an advantage. Um, I could be convinced otherwise if somebody tells me, but I just don't, I honestly don't trust the TV commercials that are like, I killed this with Tink 69. It's like, well, you also have, you know, 700 private acres and, you know, yeah, 300 acres of food plot. And, um so most,
1: i mean most deer piss and stuff turns to ammonia in 45 minutes anyways well all does so like i urinate in all my scrapes myself like i that's the way i do it and and i yeah yeah i take. i mean and, and same thing and i don't i i pee right out of the stand saddle whatever like i don't that's my always been my method and i haven't had any issues with it like it i don't know that's just again my opinion everyone can you know people can think differently and you know and there's no right or wrong with it but that's just my stance that i've taken with it
0: my cousin and i got into a heated debate over that because i just i i'm kind of like you i just pee right out of the tree stand yeah it doesn't really bother me at all and i just remember reading a study that was like deer don't give a shit about the difference between human pee and coyote piss and deer piss and like all it's all piss to them kind of yep so, but my cousin, you know, he'll, he'll pack in empty bottles to fill them up in the tree stand yet, you know? And I'm just kind of like, hey, dude, that's totally cool. But like, I really don't think it matters because I've peed out of a stand and then had deer come within 20 yards of me and they seem to not give a shit. I think it's, I think it's kind of like an old, my personal opinion is like, it's an old hunters, like uh trick or something like that. Um, and it makes like hunting seemed cool you know like yeah you know like dude oh yeah i pee out of i pee in a bottle because that's how you know in tune these that's how the are. serious
1: guys do it you know right?
0: yeah yeah that's how serious i am yeah. Um and i feel like maybe maybe in some cases like you have super hypersensitive deer i don't know but yeah i'm in the yeah. same boat as you i really don't
1: give a shit <laughs> yeah they made us do that in alberta and it was really weird
0: oh i remember yeah what was the name of that video it was like silent something the the quiet place quiet place yeah Yeah. sounds like a really great horror film man yeah i know right (laughs) but dude i really enjoyed that yeah if anyone listening to this you haven't checked out the quiet place that dude in alberta is he's intense
1: oh yeah he's i I love jim like he's absolutely great guy but he's definitely intense like yeah he's he's just as intense as the film portrayed that's just like Ugh. the way he lives his life
0: gaff tape everything
1: yep yep exactly we had actually the piss bottle that was a gatorade bottle was wrapped in hockey tape had oh, shit. It. yeah <laughs> yep it was pretty it was pretty crazy and i was like so that means it's like
0: reusable I, like they're yeah, wanting
1: well, to like, reuse that thing oh we did every day <laughs> yeah gross i know god i hope it wasn't from
0: person to person no 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 no, no. <laughs> we each <had> our own.
1: <laughs> right
0: yeah oh man no that's funny but yeah if you guys haven't checked that out check that out i remember watching that that was really cool um yeah. I, I really enjoyed that film it was it was well made and and it was just um it's a different side of hunting like somebody who's like super intense about about scent about noise about setup you know about time you gotta, in this thing.
1: You've got to go into that like with an open mind, and that's why like, I went into hunting it. Because like I saw a lot of negative comments. I saw on Sick of Gear's YouTube channel, and like it's a lot of negative comments. People were like, oh, this guy takes it too serious. He doesn't, you know, make it fun. But for him, that is fun. Like it's just just because that's too serious for you. Who cares? Like if you don't want to do that, don't do it. But for him, right. that's what he does it, and that's the way that he thinks you need to, to to do it there to kill big deer and he has a history to prove it so you know you can't you know everyone's got their own style and that's just the way jim is so
0: right no i think it'd be i, I mean personally like i think it'd be fun to hunt like that with him for you know, five to seven days. And then I'd be like, all right, let me pee out of the stand or let me just, let me just come in and sit down with my clothes on. Like I don't want to have to take them off, (laughs) Yeah, you know, but no, that's cool. Um, all right. Um, we're pretty much out of time here or we're not out of time necessarily, but, um, I, I don't have any more questions for you or anything to talk about. Do you have anything that we didn't hit on for the rut?
1: No, I think, uh, i think that i guess the last thing i would just say is like try to keep your head on your shoulders like it's a it's a grind it's not a sprint so you know when you're starting to feel down, my my opinion is if you're hunting say you got a week off and you know day five you're feeling really terrible i i would sleep in an extra hour to get make yourself feel better to ride it out and that's just my my opinion with it like it's it's definitely a marathon not a sprint so yeah enjoy it because we look forward to it every year and uh try not to take yourself too seriously which i'm trying i'm telling this trying to take my own advice
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome all right well with that note um bo tell people where they can find you
1: so you can find me um at my website which is eastmeetswesthunt.com my podcast east meets west hunt is available anywhere you can find podcasts
0: it's okay and it's not as good as this one but it's all right
1: it's it's half decent you know <laughs> it's you know whatever <laughs> but and then also you can find me on instagram at Bo.martonic, B-E-A-U dot martonic b-e-a-u and then east meets west hunts the other um instagram page facebook uh youtube just my name Bo martonic got a whole bunch of stuff going on there i do just um want to give a, a quick plug i on this should be coming out what october 12th you said yeah so my caribou hunt film will be coming out october 11th so oh yeah check that out on my my youtube channel so i i really uh would appreciate that and yeah and, hey thank you for having me on i really oh you really bet appreciate you
0: do, do you have a podcast um on the caribou hunt
1: Yeah. I got, I got three podcasts video ones actually on YouTube. So.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. Before you check out the video or whatever. So you have some context. Yeah. I like to, I like to do that. I like to listen to the podcast and then watch the video. So. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. And, um, best of luck this season.
1: Yeah. You too, man. Looking forward to seeing how it goes.
0: Yeah.